8. Turn to your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And then 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is that or who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Thank you very much, Becca. This is the word of God. When it comes to religion and faith, in the past it's been called the crush. Something to help those who can't stand on their own or who can't get around to help them get around. Richard Dawkins believed that religion is a crutch for those who are afraid of blinking out of existence after death. The science fiction author Robert Hyland wrote that religion is a crutch for people not strong enough to stand up to the unknown without help. Former Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura um, said... Religion is a crutch for the weak-minded people who need strength in numbers. I probably said it um, like, um, religion is a crutch for the weak-minded people who need strength in numbers. <laughs> well, the believer is not weak-minded. They are not lacking in any of the strengths that they are talking about. The believer is not someone who who uh, who needs help standing up, but it's a believer who only stand. It's a believer who stands by only by their faith. In the Bible, we find many courageous stories of people who, through their faith, made them bold and strong and courageous. A a boy defeats a giant. A couple of unlearned men can turn the world upside down. One man, after being abandoned by his friends and family, faces mobs, kings, and governors alone and purchased our salvation. Our faith is is not a crutch, it is a shield. And our enemy knows this, and it's the enemy who wants for us to leave our shield at home. When we talk about faith, everybody has an opinion on what faith is. You can say faith is just simply believing in something. We talk about faith in God, well, that just means somebody is a theist, meaning that they believe that there is a God. Or even a monotheist, that somebody believes that there is one God. It might be interesting for you to know that in the Bible... When this is mentioned, he said, even the demons in hell know this. That is not the kind of faith we are talking about today. Many people have different opinions on what faith is. The author of the Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown, said this is the definition of faith. Acceptance of that which we imagine to be true that we cannot prove. Helen Keller said faith is the strength by which a shattered world shall emerge into the light See if you can figure out who said this. If patience is worth anything, it must endure to the end of time, and a living faith will last in the midst of the blackest storm. That was Muhammad Gandhi. Everybody has an opinion on what faith is, but what does the Bible say faith is? I find that to be much more important than anybody's opinion on what faith is. It tells us the faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of what is not seen. Also, by grace you have been saved through faith. It doesn't stop there. In Ephesians 2.8 it says that this is not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. 
I want to quickly turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Since we are in the book of Ephesians with the armor of God, important to kind of look at the same book from the same author and to see what they would say about faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not the results of works, so that no one may boast. What is faith? This one verse tells us so much about the nature of faith. It really, it really points out, it really dispels what the New, Ra- Ra- New Age religions would say. That would make a God out of faith. That faith in and of itself is a power that the person can use outside of God. You would think that this would just be an hokey, you know, ceremonies that Wiccans do, but it has made its way into the church. It's made way into churches very much like ours. It's an occult theology. It has made its way into churches like ours. For instance, the Reverend David David Chow, co-founder of the eternal and a co-founder and eternal leader of the of the Yaddo Full Gospel Church in South Korea, the largest congregation in the world, who boasts a membership of 830,000 people. He's also um, affiliated with the same affiliation we are, the Assemblies of God. So this is kind of a weird thing to be talking about. Of course, we can always talk about people we disagree with all the time. But what about in our own midst when we talk about faith? We are very confused what faith is. So I'm bringing him up because he wrote a book called The Fourth Dimension. Now, in his book, The Fourth Dimension is a time. That's what technically the fourth dimension is. He talks about the fourth dimension as being space. Not space, sorry. As, as being faith. Being faith. And the way, he, the way he defines faith, unfortunately, is not according to the scripture. He will look at Buddhist monks and the power that they seem to have to levitate, to heal, to do amazing works. And his conclusion is that this couldn't all be explained away by by demons or by devils or by God, that we have this power in and of ourselves to change reality around us, to quote-unquote speak things into existence. Ephesians 2.10 tells us the source of faith. It is not in and of ourselves. If the power to do evil in this world is in other people, then our battle is against flesh and blood. But, but it's not. There's power beyond them. And the faith in us is not a part of us without God. It is because of God in us, the hope of glory. We are completely, utterly dependent on God for our faith. Ephesians 6 tells us the source of the power that we have. It is being on God's side. If the power in the Buddhist monk is is truly in that person, then our battle would be against flesh and blood. If the power is apart from God, then the power that we have, we can boast about, but it is not. It is the gift of God, not of ourselves, so we have no boasting. The doctrine of positive confession does not have its, it does not have its roots in Scripture, but in the occult. It is literally, quite literally, a doctrine of demons. Ephesians 6 tells us that what faith is, it is a shield. So let's talk about the shield for a moment here. What would, what would have been in the mind of the Ephesians when Paul is talking about this shield is the, the scuto. And I don't know, is Rocky the Roman ready yet, or do I need to, to buy a little more time? 
Are we good? All right, awesome. Come on out, Rocky the Roman. Rocky here, he has a, he has a shield, uh, the Roman shield right here called the, the scutum, um, also known as the door. And if you want to hold it like, like um, yep. As you can see, I mean, it covers so much of all of Rocky. Um, see where I was wanting to go here. Uh, this, this shield is a little different than what theirs would have been. Uh, theirs were made out of plywood, actually. Um, plywood is actually pretty strong. It is pretty light. Uh, Rocky probably wishes this was plywood. It's solid metal. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was it was it was to be light, but it was very strong as well. It was all at curves, so that blows would deflect off of it. Do we have a volunteer today, Rocky? Yes, we do. Oh, there's one. All right, come on up. Do we do we have just the one sword or two swords? Uh, do we need another one? It's all. Right. That's all you have? That's okay. All right, so come on up. So when um, I was a youth pastor, um, one thing I really really loved doing was uh, beating teenagers <laughs> at games. And uh, one of the things I would do is when I was teaching on the shield of faith, I wanted to explain how incredibly effective shields were. Um, yeah, I don't know if we've got anything that will substitute because what's really fun is to counterattack when somebody attacks you. But I guess we're not going to be able to do that. That's fine. Oh, there we go. Yikes. No margin for error. <laughs> uh, that's okay. Um, so what I would do is I would do I would make my own shield, which is nowhere near as cool as this one, it was made out of like you know boxes and stuff. And um, we had cool noodles. And um, so, for instance, you try to strike Rocky. Oh, I feel like he's like, yeah. There's a shield here. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> for the shield. Alright. Well, yourself, Rocky, give him just your best whack across that shield, I hope. Alright. Like your best one. Better than that. One more time, cross the shield, hard as you can do it. I don't know if you noticed this, but Rocky's not taking all of the force of the blow from the shield because it's at, at curves. It's glancing off to the side and to the left. He's never going to face that hopeful um, pressure of it. The scutum, it was, uh, it was an improvement over the round shield because it covered more of the area of the individual. So if uh, you don't have a shield and you're just smacking at the shield, he's coming forward with this. He also has this boss right here called the Umbum. And Umbum was used, and you're not going to do this because we don't want to hurt him. It was used kind of like the shield. I don't know if, you, if Rocky wants to position the shield to show how it is on your hand. Like, yeah. So what you're able to do is you're coming forward is you're able to punch the enemy with the boss of that shield. <laughs> The idea, once again, behind the Roman, the phalanx, was to stop the enemy, wear them down. They break against your shield. You do not break with the shield. And then you, little by little, you break them down. You break bones with that boss of the shield. You break toes with the bottom of that shield as well. The adrenaline wears off and the enemy is unable to fight. Well, thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. I'm glad nobody got hurt. <laughs> 
when I was doing this, we had pool noodles, and I would just like whack them with them as hard as I could. It was really fun. <laughs> The actual scutum was two feet wide by four feet long. It was made out of plywood, at, at all at right angles to increase the uh, strength of the shield. Um, the scutum was sealed together, then heated and placed in a press while still hot. This press would give the, the distinctive rounded shape, concave shape of the shield. It was also allowed to cool naturally, then it was removed from the press and the shield retained its shape. The design is all angles for a reason. This would stop blows from landing. They also had a metal boss on the front known as the umbo in the middle. In addition to being extra extra protection, it was also an offensive as they broke faces and bones as they, as they continued in battle. In battle, the soldiers would stand shoulder to shoulder protecting the man on their left side. They locked their shields and stood as one. One of these formations was known as the tortoise, in which they, those in back would bring their shields over top, those on the side would bring their shields to the side, and those in front would keep those straight. So therefore, no attack would really be super successful. They'd have to go in those little slits in order to even hit any of the armored people. I go through all this not just because I like history, but I do like history a lot. But there's a greater meaning behind this that faith is our shield. And what it means, our corporate faith, the power of meeting together in person to sharpen iron is important. This shield has its mark in history as well, in the Punic Wars. If you were facing an enemy like the Romans, you would see that line of, of wood and iron, and you knew you'd be at a disadvantage. According to the historian Clovius, the scutum tips the scales in the favor of the Roman legionaries during the Punic Wars, which were against the city-state of Carthage. There, this is his quote. Their arms also gave the men both protection and confidence, which they owe to the size of their shield. Our shield gives us protection and confidence, too, because it is a big shield. Faith is amazing. Faith, you can't break faith. You can't kill faith. A person has to lay it down. The devil knows this. This is why he wants you to lay it down, not to bring it with you. Here's, a, here's two other examples in history of how effective this shield was for those who are using it. Take, for instance, the story of the centurion Sceva and the Roman legionary Gaius um, Achilles, who fought at the battle of um, Dacrium and Melissa. Roman writer Scaterius records a badly wounded Sceva, the Roman centurion. He was holding a gate by himself against a, a, a horde of enemies. He had 120 arrows in his shield. That's something hard to imagine, right? And every inch of him would have been covered in arrows. 120 arrows, badly injured. He holds the gate by himself. Or take Achilles who despite losing his hand, boards one of the enemy's ships and drives the enemy right off the ship with the boss of his shield. These are all really fun stories, and I love history. But you know what? There are deeper stories of deeper courage, more incredible courage, in the scriptures and in church history. So I've told you a couple um, examples of courage and bravery with, with, with the shield in 
in the physical terms, in history. Let me tell you some in church history, in our faith. We call these people the martyrs. Now, martyr actually doesn't, didn't originally mean somebody who died for their faith. It became synonymous with people who died with their faith. What it literally meant was witness. Take that in for a second. Early church, early believers in the first century, they were so synonymous with dying for their faith that them just being a witness to Jesus Christ, the word martyr became synonymous with who they are. Let me talk with a more recent martyr than one we'd see in the church history like I mentioned last week. 29-year-old Jim Elliott and a group of his friends heard about a tribe in South America who had never heard the gospel. They were an extremely isolated and violent tribe. Burdened by the Holy Spirit, he and a group of men flew to this remote part of Ecuador. It seemed like they were getting along with this tribe well. They brought their own plane, and uh, there was a young man who wanted to ride on the plane. He came back to the tribe, and for some reason he decided to lie about them, saying that they were dangerous. So a war party visited them, and they killed them all. When looking over the wreckage, when they explored the scene of the crime, they noticed that they had guns there. They had ways of defending themselves that they did not take advantage of. They allowed themselves to be pierced by these spears. Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, her, and some other ladies, they go to this tribe and they find out something, that what they had done, even by their own standard was not right, it was evil, and letting their blood drain into the body of water meant that every tribe along that body of water had to listen to what they had to say. What they had to say was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to this day, many of those tribes are almost exclusively brothers and sisters of ours in Jesus Christ. The spears could pierce flesh, but they couldn't pierce a shield of faith. Jim Elliott wrote in his, in his journal before he died, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Two for two. I gave you two examples from history. Let me give you two examples in our faith. Hugh Lightmer was an old man in 1555. He was in a world in which holding fast to the gospel meant you would be punished. He was first punished by being put in the Tower of London. And then, as as an example, he and another man named Nicholas Ridley were to be burned at the stake. This was part of Bloody Mary's assault on believers in England. Large amounts of wood were gathered around these two men. The fire was lit. It is recorded that they had a moment to talk to each other. Nicholas Ridley, he told Ledmere, he said, basically, you know, God will either prevent the flames from devouring us, or he'll give us strength to endure them. And Hugh Lightmer is recorded by recorded saying this, Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out. After this horrendous act, the the reign of terror of of Bloody Mary was put to an end. People wised up, and it was the blood of the martyrs which nourished the tree of our faith. In this one verse in Ephesians, and in John chapter 5, 4 and 5, which Becca had read today, we're going to see the power of this shield. 
I kind of talked about how impressively useful that was, but our shield is much more is much stronger. So today I want to tell you, get your shield up. Two, extinguish the darts. And three, claim your victory. A lot of uh, times when I preach, I'll go over a full chapter. Today it's like, like three verses, and my first two points is one half of one verse, and the next one is the second half of that verse. So this is in verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. You know, if you were in the Roman legion, and you came to formation, you came to a battle, and you didn't have your shield, you would be so, you'd be, you'd be laughed away. You'd probably be punished, you'd be very strongly punished. Because what are you going to do? You're going to sit in that line, and you don't have your shield up. I don't know if you noticed this, but you're not exactly just protecting yourself, you're protecting your brother arms to the left. We forget our shield a lot. It would have been unthinkable for a soldier not to take their shield into battle. I mean, what are they there to do? It's not just your life you're risking, but also you are, you are not guarding your brother in arms. Verse 16 tells us that in all things to take up the shield of faith, not just during election season, not just when things get hairy and tense, not just when we lose jobs, get sick, divorce, or hurt. A lot of times we think everything's fine, we just want to cruise, and we don't realize that Satan's already attacking, we just don't know about it. So much of Satan's attacks are ones we don't even realize until we start feeling the pain afterwards. It says, no, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Becca, can you grab me the shield out of my office? It is just as important to have this shield in the good times as it is in the bad times. A soldier going into battle, they wouldn't just wait for the enemy to get their sword up before they got their shield up. Thank you very much, Becca. So oftentimes we go into work, we go into this world, and we leave the shield at home. We're told, you know, check your faith at the door. Which is an interesting thing to say, since the shield that the Romans used was called the door. And we're not ready for battle. If you wait for the battle to already be in play before you get your shield up, you are going to take a hit. We know, what it looks to take, we know what it looks like to take a hit in battle. It's a wound. Whether it's to death or it just simply needs to be treated is yet to be seen. The Romans really banked on this as well. When we talk about the sword of faith, the gladius, um, that's not the sword of faith. But when we talk about the Roman sword in a few weeks, the gladius, the whole point behind that was that when somebody ran up against that shield wall, you poke them a little bit, and they would think they were fine, but little did they know, they got poked just enough to where they'd be bleeding out. So we have so many wounds, and we don't even realize them until they get too, too hard for us to, to dismiss. In battle, we know what it looks like to take a hit. It's a wound, maybe life-threatening, maybe not. Maybe the other bits of the armor can save you, or maybe the blow gets around the armor. It's better to not let the blow blow land at all. What does it look like when you take a spiritual hit? Do you notice how in the second part of this verse, it talks about the devil's darts, not his dart. As in multiple. He has multiple ways of attacking us, of hurting us. His weapons are vast, and the wounds are buried. So let's talk about these wounds right now. First one I want to talk about is fear. 
Unless we're talking about the fear of the Lord, fear is not of God. Jesus said, do not fear. Amen. You know, we read, do not fear. I think a lot of us are like, well, that's just your opinion, man. There are fears that are common to the human experience, and then there are unnatural fears. What was once a warning is now a prison, and the child of God is called to a courageous life, not a cowardly one. One hit that I will, that I see right now that so many Christians are living with, that are dying with, is fear. Yeah. Despair. Being paralyzed by the thoughts of the future. That is not you. Yeah. You've been called to adventure. You've been called to war. You've been called to be courageous. Amen. Don't have your shield up. You may have been wounded already. Sorrow. Excessive sorrow. Sorrow lasts for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen. It's probably been a very long time since there's been mourning in America. Mm-hmm. FYI, that's a reference to Ronald Reagan. Not like anybody would get it. Anyway. <laughs> a lot of people have been missing the morning. They wake up in darkness, they go to sleep in darkness. They've been as Christians. And we've allowed sorrow not just to last for a night, but also the morning. The joy comes in the morning. Another wound? And really, I could have went on the wounds for a very long time, but decided to basically summarize them in this. It's what we're warned against in Romans chapter 12. It is a conformed life. This doesn't look like a wound at all, and the person who's wounded by this won't cry out in pain. This person fades into the background of every church and gathering. They date like the world dates. They use language the world uses. They back down every time there's a challenge to their supposed faith. They visit the same sites all their friends do. They go out getting drunk, just like everyone else they know does. In short, they have conformed to the pattern of this world. They are wounded, but they don't even know it. And that is the worst wound of all. For how can you bind up a wound you don't know exists? Here's the last one I want to talk about is confusion, because this is what the devil is sowing right now. Did God really say? See, I'll go online and I'll see these different groups of people who are supposedly Bible-believing Christians, and there's constant fights about the most obvious points in Scripture. Not like really difficult, we all disagree, like stuff we all agree on. And there's these big fights of people being just um, purposely obtuse about the most simple, basic things. It's because... Confusion has been sown in. They have also, they've also been wounded. They've also taken a hit. They did not have their shield up. And they think, well, did, did God really say? You know, what, what use is a shield? If you're, if you're just going to drop it every time, there's something hard to go over. What use is having your shield of faith if you think, well, I've got to drop it if I'm going to go to school, if I'm going to go to work, to go on, to get along, if I have to go to the family gathering. And the devil loves that. Yeah, check your faith at the door. That way you're vulnerable. He throws his fiery darts and you have nothing to extinguish them and you burn instead. In short, they have a conformed to the pattern of this world. They're wounded and they don't know it. Those who are confused do not know what God's voice sounds like because they've been listening to all the noise. And C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, the person of Uncle Screwtape tells us 
excuse me, his uh, nephew Wormwood, their goal is to cause as much noise as possible to drown out the music of heaven. Fortunately, so many people have been listening to that noise instead of the music. I want to talk about practical ways of using the shield. So we are told that in every circumstance to take up the shield of faith. So how do we do that in every circumstance? What does that actually look like? Well, how about in temptation? How do we raise the shield when temptation hits us? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you, except that which is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. You know, the door was for the Roman soldier, it was escape. They had nowhere to go, so they had to find their escape on the battlefield. We willingly go into places we know that are beyond our, our ability to cope. And then we act as if we have no, we have no ability beyond it. I remember a time in my life, um, I was a college student, and, um, oh, you are amazing, thank you so much. Um, I was actually at National Fine Arts in Denver, Colorado, and I remember um, we were on uh, this uh, strip of, um, of buildings and everything, and one of them, one of uh, the businesses had a kind of like a racy bar, uh, it's called Coyote Ugly, um, and I remember at the time thinking, I could go in there, nobody in the world would know. It's the temptation, the devil's temptation, right? Especially in those times where you are, where, where there's times where the devil's speaking to us, nobody, nobody has to know. You don't have to talk about it. Nobody's around here. Are you kidding? I had to put up the shield of faith. I couldn't even look in that direction. I knew that God had provided a way out for me, and I could either take it, or I could then complain as though he had not given me any escape. When you watch the news, read the news, experience the news, do you have your shield up? Satan uses all the information in the age of information to sow the seeds of fear. You know, I think I'm probably one of the very few people who will actually read the article and not just the headline. And that gives me such an incredibly unique view on things. Because rarely do they actually match each other. That's right. The news is geared to make you afraid. Think about that. Are you seeing this through the lens of your faith, or are you just seeing the headline and it is gripping you with fear? The headline, it's meant to grab your attention, and there are two ways the media knows how to grab our attention. The news agencies know how to grab our attention. It's either through sex or fear. If it's more of a mainstream media, they tend to go with fear, though anger seems to be replacing sex in advertising. So watch, read, listen with your shield up. Filter that story through your faith. So you know the works of the enemy against you. So when you read the news article, you start feeling feeling that fear come up. Remember, greater is he who is within me than he who is in the world. Amen. How about when it comes to self-doubt, dear believer, dear Christian? You know... If you know Jesus, you are confident in your relationship with him. You are not condemned. You do not have fear of judgment. 
The devil will come in like a flood. He will remind you of your past. He will remind you constantly. And when that feeling of judgment comes upon you, and you start going back to the old way of thinking, have my good deeds outweighed my bad deeds. Do I need to have fear if I pass through this veil of tears when I die, whether I'm going to heaven or hell? Romans 8.1 Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. How about in suffering? Suffering can make you stronger or it can make you weaker. Romans 5, 3-5 Not only so, but also we glory in our suffering. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Suffering, and we all experience suffering, that is what this life is, it is fallen. We can let suffering make us soft, we can make it make us weak, or we can let it make us strong. We can let it make us strong. It matters whether or not we have the shield up. We put up the shield when we allow God, the great physician, to make us stronger through our trials. My last practical point on how to use this shield. Galatians chapter 6 starts off with the encouragement that if someone is caught in a sin, those who are spiritual should restore them gently. But to also keep our guard up so that we don't fall into that same sin. Bear one another's burdens, that in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Another allusion to the Romans and how they, how they held their shields. You can see in this picture right here how that worked. They locked their shields together and they fought as one. This is an image of the church right here. This is an image of the church. You come here, you're not just here to be entertained. Get up your shield, join your shield with me. We have a war to fight. others. This is part of gathering together. It's something that you cannot replace with online church. I wish we could, but you can't. There's something powerful being here with you. And I know we can't always do this. We get sick, the weather, and all these things, but as often as we can, we should meet together because we are standing together and not alone. And if you're caught in this sin, if I'm caught in this sin, those who are spiritual, we are able to restore each other gently. Restore, not condemn. We shouldn't take the devil's job, right? And he's good with that, right? He's put in charge of that. He does an excellent job. You don't need to be the accuser of the brethren. You are there to restore somebody to faith. You're to do it gently. You're to do it responsibly because you could fall into the same sin. You are not some superhero that is in their life. You are another believer. You are another soldier in the fight. Second half of that verse, verse 16. With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. How can a shield extinguish fire? I told you before, the shield is not metal. This one's metal, but theirs wasn't metal. It was made out of wood. So how does a wooden shield extinguish fire? The Romans thought about this because a big thing of warfare for a long time is if you can set the enemy on fire, you win. <laughs> Pretty easy, right? The person who's less on fire is the one who wins at the end of the day. And um, 
they would have sieges against people, against fortified cities, or they'd be in battle. And very much like you'd see in movies, people would take their arrows, they'd wrap them in some kind of fabric, light them on fire, and fling them at the enemy to try to catch them on fire. So the Romans, because they're a standard of battle, they would just stand there and take the punishment of the enemies. They had a workaround. They would wrap their shields in hide that had been soaked in water. So when the flaming darts came in, they would stick in the shield, and then they would be put out. The Roman, the Roman army, they had science behind their battle. Um, Satan fires fiery darts at us as well, and our faith extinguishes them. Faith extinguishes Satan's fire. Satan has not one dart, but many darts. He has many ways of hurting us, but faith takes away the bite of all those attacks. It gives us metal and makes us strong enough to stand and not catch fire. When I was first married, my life, my life dramatically changed. Um, I was a uh, lead counselor at an inpatient treatment facility. It was a it was a job that was never meant to be permanent. But I found out when I was when I had to move away from that job how much I got settled in to it. I don't know if anybody's experienced this ever. Something's supposed to be temporary, but then it becomes like home. Um, so me and Becca get married, and um, I move over to Wheaton, Illinois. She was finishing her graduate degree, and I was there to support her. And um, I was working at Target, and I was also a caretaker at this museum house. And um, I've been called in the ministry since I was in high school. After college, I didn't go straight into the ministry. Um, I was working at that treatment facility, but I was ministering on the side, so I kind of had this outlet for my passion. I moved to Wheaton, and Wheaton is probably one of the more well-churched areas on the face of the earth. There's like three Bible colleges within walking distance, major Bible colleges. So nobody was looking for help either. So I had no ministry to do, really, in my mind. And one night, uh, we're at this museum house, and they had all these trees, and they had so many leaves. I have nightmares about these things. I hate raking. I prefer to just mow it up, but I had to rake all these leaves. And I'm raking these leaves. It is well into the night. And I am raking these leaves. And I'm just, I just have this time where, honestly, the devil was attacking me. I didn't realize it, but he was. And I remember praying to God. And I said, God, this wasn't the plan. I'm not supposed to be raking leaves. I'm supposed to be preaching in stadiums. I was called into the ministry as a boy. And now I'm raking leaves in Illinois. This wasn't the plan. It was a flaming dart from the enemy, even though it sounded like my voice. And God spoke to my heart so very gently, but so very pointedly, that this is where he wanted me to be. And this is more important right now than me preaching to a stadium. That's not what I had learned growing up. What I had learned growing up is if you are not at the zenith of your potential at all times, something has gone wrong and you should feel bad because of it. You are sinning because you are not doing what God has called you to do. And I'm like, I'm following God's call and I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And God's like, yes, you are. You're not the one who gets to decide that. When we tell Jesus, you are Lord, he's the one who gets to decide, right? Amen. And that is where he had led me. I had been about to be wounded when the Holy Spirit reminded me, put up your shield. You are probably right in the middle of about being wounded, so I'm telling you, put up your shield. Amen. 
Have you fallen into despair, to sorrow? Are you finding that you are more conformed to the world than you've ever been in your life? There are parts in your life where you're saying, I would never do that. That's a flaming dart of the enemy coming at you. Get your shield up. Because the shield quenches those fiery darts. So many of my peers that I grew up with are in such states of depression and despair and sorrow because they've been so badly wounded with this idea that I'm supposed to be the world changer. God, I tell you what I'm going to do and you bless it. Instead of following God. There's a connection, well, there's a connection between grieving the Holy Spirit and extinguishing the darts. A couple of weeks ago, I preached on grieving the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we live like we used to live. When we live like the old person. This grieves God's spirit. Basically, that's what sin does. It drives a wedge in our relationship that needs to be removed. When there is sin in the camp, there won't be victory. In the book of Joshua, they conquered Jericho. We all know that story. Joshua did the battle of Jericho, Jericho. We may not remember the battle of Ai. Ai was a small little dinky town, and they resisted the armies of Israel. They couldn't get victory. And Joshua, he goes into the presence of God. He starts sobbing. And God's like, get up. That, that, that's my personal take on it. How God, I don't know how God sounded. Maybe he was more gentle than that. But I feel like God's like, get up. Stop crying. You have an issue that you need to take care of. There's sin in the camp. One of the people didn't want to trust God. They didn't want to have faith. So they decided to take spoils from Jericho. But there's sin in the camp. There won't be victory. Extinguishing the evil one's darts is very much like that, but it's in the reverse. Just like when we sin, we are deflating the work of the Spirit in our lives. If we choose faith, we deflate the devil's works in our life. Instead of relying on ourselves when we trust God, instead of living uh, for our urges, we live for righteousness. Instead of fear, we have faith. Well, what the devil is trying to do, it just falls off. It's extinguished. And this is really the clencher of all this. It's not about trying harder. So much I think, we, we go back to works all the time, right, instead of grace. And we think, well, I just have to try harder. I just have to follow these things just a little bit harder instead of trusting more. And that is what it comes down to. I do what I do in my life because I am so grateful for what Christ has done in my life. Because he saved me. That's much stronger motivation than I'm worried that God is going to turn his back on me. Maybe some of you need to hear this. God does not regret saving you. That's right. Whatever sin, whatever problem you find yourself currently in, he does not regret in saving you. If you are caught in the sin today, if you've let the enemy strike at you, bring up that, bring that shield back up. Trust more. Love more. My final point here, 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is the victory? Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. How do we overcome the world? The world that we're talking about here is the culture of this world. It's been made by wounded people who wound people, and their God is the devil himself. Jesus said that this world hates him 
and everyone who loves him, it hates. It is the business of this world to call evil good and good evil. This is a constant pressure to conform. It is a constant barrage. So make no mistake, what the world wants, what it wants the most, is for you just to conform. For you just to obey. For you to bow the knee and worship at their throne. It has a million ways of doing this. The devil has many, 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 many ways. I like this story from the Battle of Thermopylae. Many of us know this best as the Battle of the 300 Spartans. And there was like a thousand-ish Athenians, but we don't ever remember them for some reason. 300 Spartans, yeah. Um, They stood against perhaps a million Persians. One soldier in particular was talking with a Persian captain before the battle, and that Persian captain told him their arrows would blot out the sun. If I told you today that the devil's arrows are so numerous they could blot out the sun, you might be pretty intimidated, right? So now what, what, what can I do? Where can I go? This soldier told him right back, then we'll fight in the shade. So will we. Amen. All the devil's arrows can come at me. I got a big shield. Faith overcomes this world. In 1 John, the apostle points to a greater reality outside of our experience. God is good, and he is in control, even if it doesn't feel like it. My friend showed me this children's book. I thought it was just amazing. I can't remember the author offhand. But it's called, The Moon is Always Round. You know, you look at the moon through its different stages. You have the fingernail moon, you have the half moon, you have three-quarters moon. But we know, right, that it's just the sun reflecting off the moon. The moon is always round. And the point of the book was that God is always good. Amen. Even when it doesn't seem like it. God is always good. First John, chapter 5, it, it calls us to a greater reality that God has overcome. Our faith has overcome this world. Everyone whose faith in Him has over, their faith has overcome the world. That means we have no reason for despair, and there's a lot of despair going around. Worship team, you can come up at this point. There's a lot of despair going around. It feels like it could blot out the very sun, the very light itself. That's not yours. This is an attack from the evil one. Get your shield up with your brothers and sisters and stand. You are not of those who shrink away. You are not in despair. You are an overcomer. It's easy to say, I'm an overcomer, when things are going your way, and when the song is on the radio, but when you're in the midst of it, when you lose your job, when you don't know how you're going to pay the bills, those are the times most we can say, I'm an overcomer. It's at those times when you're in school, when you're at your workplace, and you're wondering, what am I going to do in here? It's like an impossible situation. We bring our, we bring our shield up. And we extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Because we are an overcomer. Because our faith, Jesus Christ, he's overcome the world. You know, one of the promises of God that Christ never makes it into those books of a hundred promises of God is this one. In this world you will have trouble. There are some people, their whole ministry is trying to tell you that in this world you don't have trouble. But Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Amen. 
You will get sick. You will have financial problems. You will have problems in your body. You will have all these problems. But he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen. And we are part of that legacy. We have a living hope. We have a shield of faith. Would you please stand with us? We are going to be closing today's service in a song. I will lead you in a benediction, but before that, I am going to pray for you to have strength. To remember your shield in all circumstances. To remember that it extinguishes the darts of the enemy. And that you have overcome. More importantly than that, Christ has overcome. And you are in Christ.